And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In the name of the living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. When I was in seminary, we once had a visiting priest for a solemn high mass who preached his entire sermon on the reading from the Psalms. I remember this because it was from the Psalms, and that was very unusual. When I first realized what he was doing, I confess I was a little skeptical, like how is he going to bring all of this back to Jesus. But this was a very bright, faithful priest and scholar who preached the gospel masterful, masterfully, even from the Psalms. The purpose of the Christian preacher is to preach the gospel. That is the good news of salvation offered to us through the crucified and risen Lord. And while that doesn't necessarily mean one must preach from the actual gospel text, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, it is very often the case, and certainly makes good sense to do so. Perhaps you've noticed that most sermons at St. Michael's take as their primary text the gospel reading. But the Word of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, He is found throughout the whole of the Bible. That's actually a radical understatement. The Holy Scriptures have as their source always are pointing towards and find all of their meaning in and with and through the Word of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Even the Hebrew Scriptures, even what Christians now, what we call the Old Testament, yes. It could be tempting for the Christian to wonder, well, where is Jesus found in the Hebrew Scriptures? But the whole of the Old and New Testaments tell a single story. It is the story of God's saving acts throughout history, beginning with his chosen people, the Israelites, culminating in his crucified and risen son, who inaugurates a new creation, a new Israel through his church. St. Augustine famously said that the New Testament is in the old concealed, and the Old Testament is in the new revealed. One of the many things I love about the Orthodox Study Bible is the manner in which it views the Hebrew Scriptures through the lens of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you read the notes in the Study Bible, they're constantly pointing to the crucified and risen Lord, even in the Psalms. And we could take, for example, our appointed psalm for today, Psalm 116. The note in the Study Bible on this psalm, it says, this psalm speaks about the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Did you pick that up when you read Psalm 116 today? The note goes on to say that St. Paul interprets this psalm in this manner in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. When we jump to 2 Corinthians, we find St. Paul actually quotes from this Psalm 116 when he writes, Since we have the same spirit of faith as he had who wrote, here's Psalm 116, I believed, and so I spoke. We too believe, and so we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Let's listen to some of Psalm 116 with this thought in mind, that it speaks to the hope of the resurrection we have in the crucified and risen Lord. The psalm begins, I love the Lord because he has heard the voice of my supplication. Because he has inclined his ear to me whenever I called upon him. 
The cords of death entangled me. Here death enters into it. The grip of the grave took hold of me. I came to grief and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray you, save my life. Now our reading, the psalm stops. It cuts out verses 4 through 9. But we should hear them. Verse 4 goes on. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord watches over the innocent. I was brought very low and he helped me. Turn again to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has treated you well. For you have rescued my life from death, there's death again, my eyes from tears and my feet from stumbling. I will walk in the presence of the Lord in the land of the living. If we skip to verse 14, it says, You have freed me from my bonds. And here again, the study Bible notes that the bonds here spoken of are the bonds of death, which are broken apart by our resurrection from the dead. There's more. Verse 10 asks, how shall we repay? Our reading picks up with verse 10. How shall we repay the Lord for all the good things he has done for us? Verse 11, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. The study Bible notes, we take up the cup of salvation in the Eucharist, in communion, and we offer it, verse 15, as a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Belief in the risen Lord, hope in our resurrection from the dead, celebrating the Holy Eucharist, the sacrifice of thanksgiving for the salvation we are offered in Christ. Are these things all really spoken of in Psalm 116? How can we be sure that this is a true understanding of Psalm 116, that this psalm points to the good news of salvation offered to us through our Lord? Because St. Paul says so in 2 Corinthians, that's actually not a bad answer, but it's not the final answer. We must go deeper. How can we be sure that St. Paul's understanding of Psalm 116 is true? The answer is because our Lord himself has revealed these truths to us. He has taught them to us, which brings us to today's gospel. Now, I know we celebrated Easter two weeks ago, but in today's gospel, we're right back on that first Easter Sunday morning, that very day, it says. Here we find two of Jesus' disciples heading to a town called Emmaus, seven miles outside of Jerusalem. They're talking about Jesus' death. They're struggling to understand the news from the angel that he's alive again, and the report from the women that the tomb is empty. And the scriptures say that while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. That We do well to note carefully two points here. First, it is the risen Christ who draws near to them. How often do we think of ourselves as the ones who do the seeking? We seek truth. We seek wisdom. We seek God. And of course, there's nothing wrong with us seeking. To the contrary, the Lord himself charges us to seek first the kingdom of God. And he reassures us to seek and you will find. But how often do we forget that we are not the only ones doing the seeking? That God, too, is in the business of seeking us. In fact, he is the one who initiates the seeking. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. He came down from heaven to seek and to save the lost. 
And we see this seeking in full display on the road to Emmaus, where the risen Christ draws near to the disciples. It is he who seeks and finds them and initiates the relational contact. May we trust and believe, even and perhaps especially in times of loneliness or darkness, that God continues to seek us, to be in relationship with us, to love and save us through his Son. Which brings us to the second point in this passage. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. What a strange and puzzling development. The risen Christ seeks them, but upon meeting with them, he sees to it that they're unable to recognize him. Is this some kind of a game or a joke? Certainly not. The study Bible notes, Christ intentionally prevents them from recognizing him in order to expose their doubting thoughts and then cure them by means of the Old Testament scriptures. If we do not or cannot recognize the risen Christ in our midst, it does not mean that he is not there. And it may very well mean that, as he does with these two disciples, he desires to expose our deeper doubts further in order that they may be cured and healed by the truth of his word. In this story, there is absolutely no getting around the fact that this curing and this healing of doubt, this illumination happens in a unique and powerful way through the study and the contemplation of the Holy Scriptures. But not just any study and contemplation. These disciples are not leaning on their own understanding. They are being catechized. They are being taught by the risen Christ himself. The Word of God is revealing himself to them in the Word of God. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The disciples receive instruction from the source, from the author, from the Word. This teaching, this truth, is further illumined by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which is soon to come. It is received, it is treasured, it is lived by, it is passed down from generation to generation through the faith of Christ's one holy Catholic and apostolic church. These two disciples did not and could not and would never ever be able to interpret or understand or come up with the truth of the crucified and risen Savior as revealed in the scriptures without the teachings of the risen Christ and the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And neither can we. We cannot understand the meaning of the scriptures apart from the risen Christ and his body, the church. But by him and with him and in him, the holy scriptures are a deep well, a treasure of spiritual riches. The word of God, which has as its source, is always pointing towards and find all of its meaning in and with and through the living word of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. What happens next in the story deserves its own sermon. I'm not going to preach another sermon, but we'll say they arrive at the village. They constrain Jesus to stay with him, to stay with them. Can you imagine the sequence of epiphanies that they've had on their journey listening to his teaching? They sit for a meal, and it says, 
When Jesus was at table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished out of their sight. This is, without question, a Eucharistic experience. This is the very same ritual that Jesus instructs them to do in remembrance of him. We must not leave this story that takes place on Easter Day, the very first day of the new creation, the very day that the living and enduring word of God has risen from the dead, has trampled down death by death, and upon those in the tombs bestowed life, the very day, as the psalmist writes, he freed us from our bonds. We must not leave this story without identifying and marveling at the pattern of ancient Christian worship through which the risen Christ is revealed. Bishop N.T. Wright, he says it this way. Luke intends that his readers should see this simple meal pointing forwards to the breaking of bread, which quickly became the central symbolic action of Jesus' people. Though Jesus was no longer physically present, they were to discover him living with and in them through this meal. Scripture and sacrament, word and meal, are joined tightly together here as elsewhere. Take Scripture away, N.T. Wright says, and the sacrament becomes a piece of magic. Take the sacrament away, and Scripture becomes an intellectual or emotional exercise detached from real life. Put them together, and you have the center of Christian living, as St. Luke understood it. And N.T. Wright concludes his teaching with these words, Jesus has led God's new people out of slavery to sin and death and now invites them to accompany him on this new journey to the promised land. The road to Emmaus is just the beginning. Hear Jesus' voice in Scripture. Hearing him in Scripture, knowing him in the breaking of bread, is the way. Welcome to God's new world. Let us pray. Be present, be present, O Jesus, our great high priest, as you were present with your disciples, and be made known to us in the breaking of bread, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit now and forever.